0: Ladies and gentlemen, the Brit Pack is back. Simon Head from Rochester in the UK. Shamako Sandu from Toronto in Canada. Both back from our travels, more of which later on in the show. But Sandu, first off, before we launch into uh, Bellator and everything else, how's things been going? You look almost as tired as I do. Uh, Going out on the road takes it out of you when you get old like me. I don't know how it is for you young bucks like you. Hmm.
1: Oh, give me a break. Yeah, I mean, we were just talking about it, weren't we? It's like... Lack of sleep, lots of hours on the road. You're constantly just trying to eat takeout or eat whenever you can. It's not always the healthiest amount of food. Throw a few jars here and there, or when you're socialising, and uh, it can take its toll on you. And then throw in the travel time and connecting flights and airport time and yada yada yada. Needless to say, from the the sound of my voice, which is extremely bassy, as we record this week's show, I am tired, but I will never complain. About being busy, love what I do, and had a really fun week in St. Louis,
0: Missouri. More of which, like you said, we'll get into a little bit later on on today's show. It's all about that base, Sandu. Someone famous said that once, but um, yeah, it was. It's, it's been a mad week for the pair of us, and we will regale you with tales of our our various international shenanigans a little bit later in the show. But let's kick things right off with Bellator two seventy three, Sandu. A big, big fight for Ryan Bader. We weren't quite sure what kind of direction his career was taking. And a lot of people were backing him to lose this, including most of the bookmakers. The bookmakers had Valentin Moldavsky, the interim champion, as the betting favourite heading into that main event. A little bit of trivia for you. First ever unification fight in Bellator history. They've never, they've never done an interim champion versus a champion fight before. They don't typically do interim champions. He may even have been the first one, uh, Moldavsky. First time they've had to unify a belt, and it was Ryan Bader who came out with the unified title. 48-47 on all three scorecards. Kind of stuck two fingers up to the bookies a little bit there and the people who doubted him. Bader comes out, basically says, hey, I've still got it. And uh, no rest for the wicked, Sandu. Blimey, they, he barely had the belt put round his waist. And his manager basically went up to him and says, oh, by the way, you're fighting Congo and they're bringing him in the cage. And they literally did. They just brought Chet Congo in the cage and said, here's your next opponent, Ryan. You're going to Paris. May the 6th, Paris, Czech Congo, Ryan Bader, the rematch of uh, quite a controversial fight where uh, it was an alleged eye poke, I think we can call it. It didn't look like one on the replays. And it ended up as a no contest. You're going to do it again. And that's the week before the MVP, Yaroslav Amosov fight fighting London. So Bellator Europe getting two... Big title fights back-to-back uh, in Europe, which is great. But as for Bader, that's, that's a huge win for him. And uh, good seeing him get get back on the winning track. And uh, interesting to see what he does next. He says he's sticking at heavyweight now.
1: Yeah, I didn't see the card on Saturday night because it clashed directly with the Royal Rumble. And obviously, I was in attendance for that one. But look, huge for Ryan Bader, right? He He lost his light heavyweight championship. But because he was champ-champ, he had the other belt still to defend, which he done, and like you said, for the first time ever in Bellator history, a unification bout. And look, Ryan Bader, I don't think is like one of those guys that essentially moves the needle. It doesn't matter what promotion you're in, but he's had a really successful run overall in Bellator, and obviously he's happy with what he's earning there. And obviously, fighter pay has been a big topic of discussion, um, as of as of late. And I mean, for the I guess for the for the viewer at home to see the next opponent brought in, have that face off. It's nice. Interesting to see how much, you know, either Bader or Moldov- Moldovsky perhaps may have known about that prior to the fight taking place. And, and even regarding the fight itself, obviously you know, he won 48, 47 across all the, the judges scorecards. Uh, so it looks like it was a fairly you know easy and clear fight to score. It doesn't seem as though there was much controversy, or at least I didn't see anything on MMA Twitter. But man, they're really kind of saying to Ryan Bader, you know, you've just you know unified a championship, and now we're going to give your your next opponent the kind of quote unquote home field advantage by fighting in Paris. And look, you know, Bellator and the UFC have almost been jostling for France as, as a marketplace. Has been a bit of a battleground for both promotions, but Bellator. Is the only one that's actually you know now consistently holding events there, and you know Cyr- Cyril Gann, just a couple of weeks ago could have been the first French-born champion uh, for the UFC, and Czech Congo could tick that box for Bellator. And to your point about that fight taking place just a week before MVP has a chance to become the champion in London. Here's one thing Bellator does for MMA fans in Europe that the UFC and you can perhaps say covid you know they haven't been around you know in, in that market for for a couple of years though but even historically then they never europe never really gets too many title fights there's been the odd exception here and there right but for the most part the title fights take place as a part of a pay-per-view offering in North America, perhaps the odd uh, fight event here in, a, in Brazil or in Australia. But for European fans, Bellator does like to, to give them the biggest fights that they possibly can. Those are the title fights, so credit to them there. And it's going to be tough, I think, for Ryan Bader, if I'm being honest with you, to, to go there in Czech Congo's background and, uh, in back, back garden, back garden, rather, and, and uh, defend his belt, because if Czech Congo does win Simon, all of a sudden, that's a really good promotional tool for, for, Bellator to be able to like promote and market Czech Congo, who's been around the sport for a very long time and promote him as a, as a French champion.
0: Yeah. It's the other thing about this whole Bellator and, and, and putting the two title fights on the way they are, they're doing no favors for their champions. Are they, they're telling both champions, you got to go in the backyard of these two very awkward uh, championship contenders, because Michael Venom Page is a nightmare stylistically. He is so unique and so difficult to face. Chuck Congo is incredibly awkward as a heavyweight to deal with. He's big, he's strong, he's very hard to look good against, and he doesn't mind grinding out very close decision wins if that's what's needed. And it's a tough assignment for both the champions having to go as you say, into the uh into the lions den so to speak, and uh, defend their belts. As you, but also, as you say, great for the fans over here in Europe that we get these big fights. We had Michael Bisbing versus um Dan Henderson at UFC two oh four in Manchester. But even that came with a small caveat that they still held it at U at US time. I remember spending that entire week in Manchester on US time. To make sure that i could get through fight night unscathed it was a very very surreal experience sleeping during the day being awake during the nights i've been a student again funnily enough but yeah it was um it was weird but you don't get many title fights at prime time we're going to get two we're going to get beta versus uh czech congo and then the week after that we're going to get amasov versus mvp but bellator seemed to have really invested in europe and i'm you know i'm really excited for what might be coming as well as those two title fights, I would imagine that is opening the door for more European shows in general, even if they're non-title fight events. Hopefully, we'll get to see more of those. But as for Ryan Bader, I think the most important thing that came out of that, other than the fact he's already got his next fight, he said he doesn't want to be jumping weight classes anymore. And if you take a look at his recent results, I I think you can see why that is the case. He gets TKO'd by Vanim Nenkov, teammate of Moldovsky, teammate of Fedor, I mean, he knocked out Fedor. He tko Fedor to win the heavyweight Grand Prix and win the heavyweight world title and become the champ champ. He then has that no contest with uh, Czech Congo. But then he gets stopped by Nedkov and loses his light heavyweight belt. And then two fight. He then, he beats Leo Tabachita. Then fights Corey Anderson. Not known for being a great finisher. Anderson TKO's him in less than a minute. And it's like, crikey, what's going wrong with Ryan Bader? Are we seeing the end of... Ryan Bader is a, a top-level fighter. He comes back, faces Moldavsky. As I say, same stable as Vadim Nankov, same stable as Fedor. Fader in his corner and does a really good job of getting the win and a deserved win, I thought. So he looks much better at heavyweight than he doesn't like heavyweight. You know, when he moved up to heavyweight initially, I thought, mm, I don't know about this. You know, how will he look filled out? Will he be able to carry the cardio? He's actually looked better at heavyweight. So I think if he's... Prepared to put light heavyweight in his past, and he doesn't have that 205 pound belt now that he kind of has to has to deal with. He's just got the heavyweight belt. He can focus on that, and I think that'll be better for his heavyweight career moving forward because he won't have to worry about even recovering from a weight cut. You know, he's he can just be at his natural weight, stay at his natural weight. He doesn't have to cut a thing to fight at heavyweight. All he does is manages his weight to make sure he's. A, you know, in in the right bracket of weight for, you know, for, you know, for the opponent and he can just get in there and do his thing. And, uh, you know, he's also top class individual as well. I spoke to him years ago when he was in the UFC and I've spoke to him since when he's in Bellator and he's just, he's just a top class individual, nice guy. Uh, You mentioned he doesn't move the needle much. He doesn't trash talk people, you know, he doesn't trash talk people, but he does go in there and he's proven himself to be one of the best in the world at his weight class and uh he deserves plenty of respect for what he's for what he's already done in his career and uh I'm looking forward to see how he does against Congo. I'm backing him to beat Congo. I think he can I think he can beat Congo. Um and I think Congo was the fact that Congo kind of looked for a way out that early in the first fight makes me think that Bader's already got his number mentally. So we'll see how that one goes. I mean, if you're doing a way too early prediction, Sandy, and we are talking way too early, we're talking like four months too early. Um, what do you reckon? Who would you lean towards for that? Obviously, Congo with the home field advantage, as you say.
1: I think I'm with you, Simon. I think I'd pick Ryan Bader to defend. And, and I think perhaps, you know, perhaps heavyweight isn't his natural weight class, but perhaps not having to cut any weight and just walk around at your natural, you know, walk around weight, the, the cardio. Sometimes in the heavyweight division, because there's such a disparity in terms of you can have small heavyweights, you can have, have big heavyweights. And I think right now in that heavyweight division in Bellator, Ryan Bader has a lot more, he ticks a lot more boxes for me in terms of w- ways to win a fight, you know, going over the course of five rounds, his cardio, um, you know, being able to perhaps take his opponents down and use his wrestling base, things of that nature. So yeah, and and check Congo, I feel like is just one of those, you know, one punch knockout power punches. You know, that is that is kind of like most of the time his only way to win. Even though he's gone to decision quite a few times, you know, over the course of his career as well. Uh, he, clearly, he knows how to you know manage. The, his body's you know cardio ability and things of that nature it could very well just end up being a bit of a snooze fest if i'm being honest with you if uh, if, if the if the two lads just end up getting the full 25 minutes but if it does i'd pick Bader to to outpoint check congo
0: i tend to agree with you on both those points yeah it might not be the most exciting fight um Czech Congo fights recently haven't been the most exciting of fights. So we'll see how it goes, but it is nonetheless a legit title fight in the Bellator heavyweight division. And that will be in Paris on May the 6th. We've got three events scheduled for Europe for Bellator. February 25th, they're going to the three arena in Dublin. gego Mousasi against Austin Vanderford is the middleweight title fight in the main event. Uh, Vanderford undefeated. Mousasi obviously pound for pound still one of the best to do it. So that's a decent fight. Then you've got Bellator London with MVP Amosov. Then oh, sorry. We've got, um, Bellator France. Then we've got MVP versus Amosov. So, uh, Bellator looking to, uh, they're going to feature quite heavily on this pod in the weeks to come for sure. But, uh, this isn't just about, uh, Bellator and what happened this past weekend. We've been all over the map this week. No UFC event this week. Um, or this past week, we've got UFC Fight Night coming up, which we'll talk about in a sec. But um, we've been all over the place. We've both been on planes. We've been traveling. We've been doing stuff. You were at the Royal Rumble, which people might think, okay, pro wrestling. But this is arguably one of the bigger MMA stories of the week as well. So not only were you over there covering the Royal Rumble, you were in the company of Mr. A. Helwani, Esquire. Um, Check out Sandy's Instagram. And uh, yeah, you have uh, you were there to see some interesting goings on, not just from a, a, WWE, a WWE perspective, but MMA fans would have picked up a few headlines at the end of that. How was the overall experience, first off?
1: It was great. I'm not going to lie. Going to these WWE events and, and BT Sport tend to provide the on-site coverage for the Big Four, and the Big Four being Royal Rumble, Wrestlemania... SummerSlam and Survivor Series and just due to COVID we weren't able to get on, uh, out on the road much so Survivor Series in New York towards the back end of last year was the first time we were all on site together and to really provide that on the ground on-site coverage and you know I think we did a better job than anybody else I mean looking at this, these past two events we're the only legitimate global broadcast partner that is there really putting in a you know a solid shift throughout the entire week. Uh, be the best promotional partner that we can be. You have some independent wrestling media outlets there, but you know, and, and obviously they have their you know goals to 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 check off in terms of what they can get out of the, the access. But I, I just think in terms of being a promotional partner, there's just no one that's coming close to what BT Sport does. And I'm not just talking about WWE. I'm talking across the board. You look at all the sports that BT Sport have on their channels and look at the social accounts, the digital content is second to none. So yeah, to to be out again for the second event now and have, you know, Ariel there and have all the crew from back home in the UK, me being there on site, just so happy to, first of all, one thing I don't take for granted anymore these days, Simon, is just the ability to work with what I consider to be the best in the business, whether it be on-camera talent, behind the scenes, videographers, editors, social media, you name it. I just I just really feel like it's a privilege for me to be able to to work alongside these fantastic people and then you throw in the fact that they're just great human beings it just makes for an awesome time and and a great you know week to spend away from friends and family back here in Toronto so yeah so from on that note fantastic I'm really happy and proud of the work that we did and like you said you know I think if you looked at MMA websites MMA media outlets where there's no UFC on this past weekend looking to generate some traffic looking to you know c- click that seo box and try and get as many people to click on a website or watch a video or interact with a social media piece of content it doesn't get any better than when not one but two former ufc champions by the name of brock lesnar and ronda rousey win the respective men and women's rumbles and it was even a uh, more of a a worthy note to to throw in that Ronda Rousey made her long awaited much anticipated return after a few years away she um is now back as a mother and there's actually quite a few mothers that work um and work for the WWE and, and wrestle um on on the women's roster so kudos to them but yeah it was you know definitely interesting to see her come back Brock Lesnar's obviously been with the WWE now for for quite a few years and I think his MMA and UFC run is completely in his rearview mirror but yeah, it was fun. It was fun, and you know, now we're on the road to WrestleMania, Simon, which takes place in Arlington, Texas, in in a couple of months. So Ronda Rousey is back on WWE programming. She's scheduled to be on on Raw, and I'm sure she'll make an appearance on SmackDown as well uh, before she ultimately decides who her opponent will be at WrestleMania, whether that be Becky Lynch or Charlotte Flair. But you know what the WWE have done really well is cherry-pick and work with ex-MMA and UFC talent. and They've got Shayna Baszler there. You've obviously got Ronda Rousey. And if you want to headline not one night at Cowboy Stadium, but two nights back-to-back, which is what they are planning to do this year at WrestleMania, you need the biggest draws, the biggest stars that the mainstream casual fans will would have heard of or are interested in. And it looks like the program for WrestleMania is now going to be... Roman Reigns versus Brock Lesnar and it'll be either Charlotte Flair or Becky Lynch versus Ronda Rousey on the other main event or for night one or for night two, depending on who opens on who closes the show for both those events. So yeah, you know, they kept it secret, but you know, looking at the, the, the bookies odds and the odds makers, they had Ronda Rousey as a favorite in the days leading up to the rumble. So it looked like there was a, a pretty good chance of her making her comeback. And to be fair, even when her music hit and she walked, down the aisle she got a great reaction from the fans now let's see how the fans treat her in the coming weeks because i feel like the pro wrestling fans the wwe fans perhaps are still undecided whether they want to cheer her or boo her and even the way she comes across in interviews with her comeback is is very interesting to digest um but yeah look she's a big name still and she she did fully commit to pro wrestling and her WWE run on the first uh, occasion. Now let's see if this is just a, a program until WrestleMania and she takes some time off or whether she's going to go full time or whether perhaps they give her the old Brock Lesnar schedule where she'll make an appearance for the, the real big shows uh, during the, the length of her contract. But yeah, St. Louis outside of the, the, the Royal Rumble itself Personally, not going to be a city or, or a town I'm going to be eager to to return to anytime soon. I found it to be a little bit of a ghost town. And maybe it's just that, that time of year. And I'd love to perhaps maybe go check it out for a day or two in the summer. But went to check out the, the, the famous arch that St. Louis is known for. We were staying in a hotel right next to it. And yeah, outside of that, it was just nice to be on the road. Uh, which is another thing I don't take for granted anymore de- these days, just uh, being locked down with COVID and, you know, for the last couple of years. So all in all, Simon, no complaints. Happy to have been there, happy to have put in my work and a pleasure to work with everybody. And I think the next big BT Sport WWE event that I'll be on the road for will be, like I said, WrestleMania in a couple of months in Arlington, Texas.
0: It's good getting back out on the road and working with good people. And that, that segues nicely into into my week. I was over in Abu Dhabi. I'd never been to that part of the world before. So that was an eye-opener, Somewhere completely new. I was over there with IMAF, the International Mixed Martial Arts Federation, which had a governing body of amateur MMA. And it was their world championships this past week over in Abu Dhabi. It was due to be in Kazakhstan last November. But due to COVID and all that sort of stuff, it had to be moved, it had to be transferred. It ended up... So it was technically the 2021 World Championships, even though we were in January 2022. And uh, I got brought in as a, a mentor to uh, two young journalists, um, Eric Ubalaka from Chicago and Daniel Nasir Mirza from Pakistan. They both won this competition to be a part of the IMF comms team during, during this World Championships. Um, I'll talk about them in a second, but the week started with a bang in more ways than one. Sandu, um, I was in bed at, I was, it must be about three 30 in the morning because I had my earbuds in and I was watching one of the NFL playoff games. I cannot even remember which one cause I was pretty dead at the time. And I heard two really loud bangs. Actually, I had these headphones on, which are like noise cancelling. So I, I but I heard two bangs out of the window. I didn't think anything of it. It was all fine. I was too too engrossed in watching watching the game. And I just carried on. Eventually went to sleep, woke up the next morning, sort of wandered down for breakfast, saw a couple of the lads on the comms team, and they went, did you hear what happened last night? And I'm like, no. And they said, two ballistic missiles were launched at Abu Dhabi by Yemeni rebels on the border. I'm like, yeah, nah, come on. Come on, I know I look knackered but I'm not falling for this. They then pulled up the news report on YouTube. And it turned out that the two bangs I heard were Abu Dhabi's missile defense system shooting the two missiles out of the sky, which happened pretty much outside my window. That happened on night one, Sandu. So that Bloody immediate, hell. Yeah, tell me about it, right? So and literally the half of the first day was just everybody discussing their experiences of did you see that? Did you see the flashes? Did you see that? I'm like, mate, I was just watching the NFL on my phone with my headphones on. I didn't hear anything. If I didn't have the noise cancelling phones on, I probably would have shat myself. Right. But I didn't know. I was just too busy watching the chiefs and the bills or whatever it was. But, but um yeah, so that happened. That was a good start to the week. Insane. And then after, <laughs> after that, it was, it was mad. I'd never done mentoring or anything like that before. It was one of the most rewarding weeks of my career. Honestly, I've covered so many MMA events as a view. And We've got. We've been very fortunate to have been to some of the biggest in history, right? Like UFC 205, immediately springs to mind. 199 is a huge one for me because Bisping won the title. Great for the UK, following Conor McGregor's rise at some of the biggest events that have ever happened, right? This event, albeit very different, is probably in my top three events that I've ever covered. Because, wow, that's great. Yeah, it is. It was. It was so, so different. Like I've covered Olympic Games and I've covered MMA in UFC slash Bellator form, if you like. And they are poles apart. If you kind of put them together, you kind of got the IMAF World Championships. It, it's, it was a remarkable, remarkable week from check-in day where we're in the one of the host hotels and all the teams were arriving like en masse, one team at a time, to check in. And like the Mexican team showed up and it took them 22 hours to get to Abu Dhabi. And they were just so happy to be there. They were dancing, high-fiving, singing, chanting. It was amazing. Uh, I had a chat with their head coach, Danny Salazano, and they were just so happy to be there. And they managed to pick up a couple of medals along the way as well, which is great for them. But also being used to covering professional MMA, amateur MMA is kind of a new thing. So I was having to learn everything on the fly. It was great. And uh, there's some serious talent coming through. You know, you're used to seeing talent from, like, Cage Warriors and CFFC and other professional promotions working their way up to the UFC. Well, below that, you've got IMF producing some really legit talent, like really legit talent. And I think eventually, within the next five to ten years, we're going to see a lot of people who have either won medals at IMF level or have competed extensively at IMF level. Making it through to the UFC, the talent pool is just so big, and the talent pool in like the in like the Russia, Kazakhstan sort of part of the world is insane, insane. That just the strength in depth is off the charts, right? So that in and of itself was great, but getting to mentor a couple of journalists, young journalists who really did not know what to expect, was great. That my plan, I had it in my head. My plan was we were going to get them involved in creating content for the website, interviewing the fighters backstage and get, getting into the nuts and bolts of event reporting, you know, and our friend, Sebastian Vendel Martinez, um, he was doing commentary on one of the cages and I thought, okay, I'll have a word with him and uh, I wonder if I can maybe get them to sit in with him or something. That was my plan. Well, we managed to get them to not, or we managed to get Eric to not just sit in with him, but actually commentate between rounds. So that was kind of a cool thing for him. That's
1: really cool, yeah.
0: That was really cool. Didn't happen for Daniel. Something like we, we, my plan for Daniel went out the window. When I landed at Abu Dhabi Airport, I was on the same flight as Ricky Wright, who is their main MC and is a bit of a legend. I'll be honest with you, he's top man and a superb MC. He's really good. And he told me at the airport when we were waiting for a transport that the, the other MC who was supposed to be there announcing the fights with him didn't look like he was going to, you know, he didn't look like he was going to make it. I'm like, well, the lad, you know, the lad Daniel who's just won this competition, he does announce ring announcing for like pro wrestling and MMA in Pakistan. And he goes really mad for it right he's because i've seen youtube videos of him he's quite excitable but you know i'm sure and he said to me before the tournament that it would be his dream to maybe shadow a ring announcer and you know it'd be an absolute dream if he ever got to announce fighters to the cage for a world championship event so anyway with about 20 minutes to go before the start of the first set of there's four cages on the floor right four cages all happening at once now, Ricky was going to have to call all of these at once. So what he did, he grabbed Dan, he grabbed Daniel and said, you're ring announcer, are you? He said, yeah, yeah. I told him a bit about it. And he goes, right, okay. Here's a mic. You're on in 20 minutes. He had to announce two cages simultaneously, fighters coming in, and then the, and then the, and then the, uh, the results, you know, like the verdict and everything, for every fight from two cages, that was 60 fights in a day. And he was so good... That he did the rest of the week and he announced the medal ceremonies for every single, every single uh, weight category. He announced uh, Big Nog. Big Nog was there as one of the uh, one of the coaches um, and he, he gave him a big introduction as he came on the stage to present the medals. Big Nog was so impressed with him that he shared the Instagram of him doing it on his Instagram story and all this sort of stuff. He absolutely aced it. Eric did an incredible job with the writing. He impressed absolutely everybody. Daniel completely thrown in at the deep end uh, and got to live his dream for a week. And I don't think he's come down yet. I'd really I, I, He's back home in Pakistan. He's, he called over, or he announced as a ring announcer, more than 160 fights in a week and he did every, every medal that was presented, he announced it. That's insane.
1: That is insane. And you're talking about the, the depth of talent in terms of the fighters. I think programs like this, it, even though it kind of started off as a, a, a mentorship program in terms of being a journalist and covering the event as a member of the media, all of a sudden, who knows where their careers could potentially go. Now, now that they've got some reps under their belt, as commentators and 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 ringslash cage announcers. And maybe you know one path doesn't work out, they go a different path. But like you and me have said for many, many years, do it all. Try and do everything that comes your way because you just never know when that experience may help you at some point down the road. That sounds first of all incredible. And thank God that you know IMAF had the the ability. And also the existing relationships that you have with guys like Sebastian, who obviously is a good friend of ours, covering um, many UFC and Bellator events uh, in Europe over the years, th- that you can lean on that experience and those relationships to help these kids get a few e- extra opportunities. That sounds incredible. Bravo!
0: One of one of the most rewarding, enjoyable weeks I've had in sport. Period. You know, I absolutely loved it. And if I get to work with IMAF again, then. I'll be absolutely overjoyed. It was a great organization to work for and the whole atmosphere from top to bottom. And, uh, there's, you know, there's some big hitters involved with, with IMF. you know, Mark Goddard was running the show from a regulatory standpoint. And, uh, you know, there's some, there's some, there's some big names involved behind the scenes as well. So it was, it was, it was a great experience and I'm very, very grateful and, uh, fortunate that I actually got to be involved. So yeah, we both had pretty good weeks, mate. We both had pretty good weeks.
1: Yeah, outside of ballistic missiles going off nearby. Other than
0: that. Other yeah, than that small, sounds, sounds, like,
1: issue. sounds like it was a pretty good week, yeah.
0: That was the first time I've been on the road. If you don't count going to London for Bellator, that's the first time I've been on the road in probably two and a half years. So Wow. So, no, it was good. First time I've been on a plane in a very long time. So, absolutely loved it. Um But, yeah. Hopefully, well, no, I will be getting on a plane again soon in the summer for International Fight Week uh, when, when the UFC are going to be running, hopefully, a whole load of stuff that week. But uh, speaking of the UFC, Sandy, we have a UFC event this weekend, February 5th, UFC Apex. And it's a it's a pretty important fight at 185 pounds between two guys who are kind of just outside championship contention, but a big win for either man. He's going to put them in a cage with a contender next time out. I think it's going to be Jack Hermanson, the Joker versus Sean Strickland and two more different characters. You could not wish to meet in the UFC right now. Jack Hermanson, very softly spoken, very calm, very reserved. And, uh, you know, when he smiles at you, you you almost don't remember that the man is a fighter. He's got one of the kindest faces in MMA. And then you've got Sean Strickland, who is about as hard-nosed and scary as you can, as you can find at 185 pounds, a very different kind of character. But both of them are elite-level middleweights, and a big win for either man is going to put them in a big fight later this year. Give us your take on how you think this one might pan out, because it's a big styles clash as well, this grappler versus striker mostly, I would say.
1: Yeah, I think Jack Hermanson. Obviously, he yeah, he, last couple of years up and down, and you know he's coming off a win over big prospect Edmund Shebazin, and, and things haven't really worked out for him for a while. This is Jack Hermanson's opportunity to get up uh, in a main event situation for the UFC, and and a, an opponent that is probably more in line with what his ranking deserves. I mean, this is number six versus number seven. Like you said, the winner should then solidify perhaps a top five position and then perhaps you know enter a, a situation where they're in a number one contenders fight. These are two opponents that would essentially be fresh meat for Israel Asanya later on this year if he retains his belt against Robert Whitaker. And he's a champion that's really starting to, to do the lap now on this division, and it's not going to be too long before he either is going to have more rematches or he needs need, needs fresh fresh meat and fresh opponents, and that's exactly what this fight potentially is set up to to do for him at some point in, in the future. And um, and and you know, Sean Strickland he's kind of come out of nowhere a little bit, like he's got this incredible win streak going for him, with the Uriah Hall win being his most recent and, in my opinion, perhaps the most notable. But it's probably been more his personality and his interviews and maybe his pre and post fight press conferences that have probably helped him raise his profile, whether you agree or disagree with the things that he's been saying like it's it's a bizarre way for him, so you know late into his career to finally get some notoriety, but it seems to be for bizarre reasons and it's a lot of things that are coming out of his mouth. With his worldview on this that and the other and you know this is gonna be another fight in the apex so you don't know what kind of visceral reaction you may get from a crowd because there's there's not going to be any fans in there i'm curious to see how this plays out especially if he wins what he says in his post fight interview what he perhaps would say in his post fight press conference what he may say you know in interviews with media because i'm sure he would want to with a win here propel himself into a conversation where he'll fight either Ades- Adesanya or Robert Whittaker. So an interesting fight. Obviously, we've had a couple of weeks break now since the pay-per-view and, and the, the the two title fights, that flyweight and heavyweight. This is what I would consider to be business as usual, apex slash fight night events for the UFC, maybe for this year, maybe for the foreseeable future in terms of the kind of fights we're going to get, the quality. I mean, Let's be honest, outside of that main event, it's kind of slim pickings. If you're looking down the card, we know at the pay-per-view levels, the, the monthly pay-per-view event from the UFC, it's going to be stacked. There's going to be lots of stories, lots of marquee names that you know we can talk about and fans can talk about and discuss and debate. Lots to chew on there. But yeah, looking at this Fight Night card, this is it. This is this is the new standard, in, in my opinion, for, for the UFC. They are churning and burning events for their broadcast partners, they have to deliver X number of events. They continue to do so because it's very profitable for them. And look, I'm not expecting this fight to to move the needle too much come come fight night, but it is an a, an important fight for the middleweight division. How how things perhaps could stack up uh, throughout the course of
0: 2022. Yeah, yeah, I tend to agree with you. I mean, normally normally you've got a little bit more of uh sort of name value a bit further down the card, not as much on this fight card. So it really is going to be a lot of focus on this, on this main event. And I don't think Sean Strickland's going to have too much to play with in terms of the guy on the other side of the cage sort of giving him a load of verbals on, on the, uh, on, on media day or anything, because Jack Manson is, that's just not his style. You know, he just goes in and gets it done. You know, he's had a, sort of alternated wins and losses of late. Strickland's form is outstanding. He's won like five in a row. He's nine and three since 2015. So he kind of has come out of nowhere, but at the same time, we shouldn't be that surprised because this form has been steadily brewing. It's just he hasn't necessarily been fighting the highest the highest uh, grade opposition in terms of name value. Uriah Hall, as you mentioned in his most recent fight, without doubt the biggest name that he has faced so far in this UFC run that he's currently on. So yeah, if he goes and beats Jack Comanson, he's a legit contender. Jack Comanson is a dangerous man. He beat Edmund Shabazian. He's got incredible submission skills when he chooses to use them. He's kind of a languid, lanky striker when he goes about his business on the feet. And I think Strickland will have an advantage there. It's going to be interesting to see how this one pans out. Again, We see it so often. It's going to be who controls the range and who dictates where the fight goes. Because if it goes to the mat, it's advantage Hermansen for sure. If it stays in a stand-up for lengthy periods of time, I could see Hermanson having success early with with his jab and maybe with his teeps and stuff. But I think Strickland will eventually close in and make his boxing work for him. And uh, I think he would win a decision if it stayed standing for the majority of the fight. It's a tough one to call. It's a tough one to call. I would lean slightly towards Strickland only because of the recent form, but it is a tricky one. Are you are you in a position to make any kind of pick? It is a it is a really tricky one, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I'm with you, Simon. It's purely based on the form as well. Like I don't know when you look at the tail of the tape, what can you kind of really look at that will allow you to definitively pick one or the other either way? And the only reason I'm picking Sean Strickland this week is down to his recent run of form, like he's been winning fights, so he's going to be going into Saturday night with tons of momentum. So yeah, for me, it's going to be Sean Strickland uh, this weekend that most likely gets the win.
0: Yeah, and while you were saying that, I very quickly pulled up their stats. Hermansa's reach advantage is not as big as I thought it would be. It's only an inch and a half, so that's negligible. That's you know that that barely that barely qualifies as a reach advantage. So um, that being the case, I, that that makes me edge even closer to uh, sean strickland in case of how this fight's going to go um as to the rest of the fight card it is it is really one for the hardcores i think you pick out favorites you pick out people that maybe you've enjoyed watching before julian arosa has always been fun to watch and uh has, has delivered some good performances inside the apex he's on the card against stephen peterson the guy to look out for though is shavkat Rachmanov. i was talking to you about imaf earlier sandu and the amount of talent coming out of like Kazakhstan and, and Russia and all this sort of stuff. He's flying the flag of Kazakhstan. He's undefeated at 14 and 0, and he's legit. He is a legit submission threat. He's very, very dangerous. He's got a first round sub of Alex Cowboy Oliveira and a second round sub of Michel Prezerez in his last two fights. So that gives you an idea of the level. Of which he's already demonstrated inside the UFC, and he's just getting better. And he's an example of the sort of talent that I've, you know, that I was watching this past week. Obviously, they're much more, uh, you know, they're much younger and and they and they're more raw. They're not a finished article, but that amount of talent is a load of it coming from that part of the world. And Shavkat could really be a flag bearer for Kazakhstan in the UFC. So, he was actually born in Uzbekistan, but he uh, he fights out of Kazakhstan. He carries the Kazakhstan flag. And, uh, yeah, he's definitely, definitely one to watch. Unbeaten as a professional, 14-0. and 0. So, definitely one to check out when you're looking at the rest of the fight card. And you might think, yeah, I don't know. He's actually the third fight from the top of the card. Puna Soriano versus Nick Maximov is the co-main event. But, uh, yeah, it is... I hesitate to say it's a one-fight card, but in terms of fights that have any bearing on uh, a championship pitcher or the sharp end of rankings, it is just about those two guys at the very top of that fight card. That is uh, usual sort of time for UFC Fight Nights. Check out your listings. That'll be live on BT Sport here in the UK, live on ESPN Plus stateside. And uh, I think, Sandu, that might be pretty much all we have on this issue of the Brit Pack,
1: Yeah, for those of you that want to support us, the best place to do that is the BritPakMMA.com. That's the BritPakMMA.com. From there, you can find us on social media handles. You can find the show, my handle, Simon's. And for those of you that listen to us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, both platforms now provide an opportunity for you to rate or either rate and review and if you're able to do that honestly it takes about 15 20 seconds of your time but it goes a long way on helping our show get found by new potential listeners so if you can do that that would be much appreciated
0: have a good weekend enjoy the fights this weekend and we'll be back to talk you through it all next week